Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Julie Crockett, who's the CEO of Australian Property Investment Solutions. Julie shares some insights into how to select property that matches the local demographics, how she conducts her research to identify growth areas and much more. The interview also covers investment opportunities under the $400,000 mark in growth areas, which is very interesting. Here's Julie. All right, Julie Crockett, thanks for joining us on Gear for Growth. Oh, thank you for, for having me on your program, Mike. It's a, it's a pleasure and I've been looking forward to chatting to you for some time as the investment property whisperer you are. Can you, uh, can you give us a background of, of who exactly you are, Julie, and what you specialise in? Uh, yes, yep. I am the CEO and founder of Australian Property Investment Solutions and uh, I love working with people to help them to invest in residential real estate and to build property portfolios. All right, so now we get to the, uh, to the dirt side of things. What was on the bedroom wall growing up in terms of posters? I was like any normal um, teenager, I guess. I just had, you know, all the the pop stars and all, you know, of the era hanging around. Um, I didn't uh, really get into property until later, so yeah, just just a pretty normal sort of a, a childhood, I suppose. Okay. And how how did you get started in property yourself? And, and what was your first investment? Yeah. Look. Um, Back in the day, I was working full-time as a teacher and I was raising two daughters and basically just uh, got the shock of my life one day when I received a superannuation statement in the mail and I had sort of less than $30,000 in there. And uh, I had this vision of this little white-haired lady still working well into her 80s or 90s, eventually dropping dead on the, on the classroom floor because I figured that I would never be able to afford to um, stop working. And uh, that fear of being a very poor old lady jolted me into action. And I decided at that point um, that I would investigate the possibilities of looking into buying an investment property. And it always intrigued me a little to to go down that track. Um, and I guess that, that sobering moment really... Um, made me think hard about what I need to be doing at that point in time. And that's not an uncommon story, especially for the the female gender who who tend to have lower super balances for for a myriad of of reasons. And and I guess that's something that you're helping uh, people to to overcome as well, right? Absolutely. I I meet uh, women um, as as part of my week. I, I speak with many, many people and women... Uh, feature quite highly in in that. Uh, quite a large percentage of women are uh, looking at the future, as I did back then, um, quite quite a few years ago now, and uh, they're they're really concerned about what will happen. And so they're definitely the the uh, the people that I love working with because we're coming from a fairly common place, and we also. There are ways that people can make a massive difference, even if they think they're too old or they can't do something. Certainly, there's there's ways forward with investing. So, yeah, it's a great story when um, when you can see 
big, um, massive actually differences between where women start from and where they end up just by making some really smart choices about investing. Yeah, well, we've got a bit of a way to go with the gender pay gap, but even if we sort that issue out, women tend to, to spend time away from work if they're having a family, if they find themselves separated, and it, it does sort of put uh, people in a in a dire position, I guess. With um, getting back to uh, your beginning in pre- professional life, what, what got you interested in, uh, in teaching? Well, again, I guess it was um, helping people. I and and you know we we spend time doing all sorts of things with our life, but to me, if I can make a difference, then that's the space where I want to be in. And in many respects, um, when I set up my business, my property investment business, um, it it spun from I guess the the, the whole notion that. No matter what we do in our life, whether we're you know um, teachers or whether we're um, consultants or what we're doing, if we're adding to people, um, I like that word value, I guess, but but yeah, adding value to people and helping them to um, use the skills they have that they sometimes don't even know they have to be able to create um something really worthwhile and in in this case of course it's it's investing and it's making a huge difference to the end result yeah absolutely there was a story I read about you being sort of privy to some of the salaries of, of teachers and that got the cogs turning for you. What, what was that about? Was that mm-hmm. that, that there were certain people that are earning crazy salaries and you could never compete or they were modest salaries and they were still finding ways to invest? What what was that story about for you? Mm. Well, you, you touched on a point a moment ago about women, you know, and, and the gender pay um, issue and... To be quite honest, um, it, there are there are great ways for women, regardless of what pay they're actually um, working on or, or getting, to be able to use some of that to invest. Um, and teachers, in particular, they're they're paid, um, you know, a fair, fairly ordinary income. To be quite honest, um, and yeah, a lot of the teachers that I've met over the years have said, oh, I'm only a teacher and I can't afford to invest in property. Um, I built the bulk of my property portfolio on a teaching income and that was a single teaching income. So it can be done. It just, the mindset is everything. Um, I think that uh, women certainly have, um, that once they're shown the way, they certainly have the wherewithal to make, to be able to um to be able to make that difference and to be able to really um, and and to help others as well. It's it's, it's a good end story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, there's nothing more powerful than, than, than teaching people how to do something by having done it yourself. Um, on, on this podcast, we, we rage against uh, a couple of things as a general theme. One of them is not having a plan uh, and another one is purchasing close to where you live. Th- these are points that I've seen you uh, sort of get your get your back up against as well. Uh, mm-hmm. h- how important is, is the plan and, and, and how important are these two key issues to, to the fundamentals of investing success, do you think? Uh, they're crucial. They're absolutely crucial, Mike. Um, having a plan really does determine more than likely where you're going to end up <laughs> with investing. So um, when I sit down with um, with people 
the very first thing that I ask is um, questions like, uh, what are you trying to achieve when you purchase an investment property? You know, what's the end game? Um, and then it usually moves into a conversation about retirement because a lot of people, vast majority of people, are investing because they want to have a comfortable lifestyle in retirement. And, and even people, even people in their 30s, you know, there's still, there's aspiration there for the future that, yeah, I, I want this for my future. I want to be able to, um, you know, retire comfortably and have cash flow. So we have those conversations. Well, what do we need this property to do if you want cash flow? Well, clearly we need to look for positive cash flow property. Um, Generally speaking, the the vast majority of people who go down the the property investment track um, will do something like this. They will be pre-approved for an amount of money, let's say, you know, $400,000, they um, look on realestate.com.au or domain, they pick an area that they think is a good area to invest in and then they you know, emotionally look at something that looks good around their price point and they go ahead and purchase that. To me, that's not a plan because clearly if you're going to be looking for um, something that's going to provide you with cash flow, you actually have to dig a whole lot deeper. You have to know property types and demographics, and I know that's something that will be popping up later, but understanding how those that, that property is going to work for you is crucial because if you want to build a portfolio that's all part of the plan, then you need to purchase the first one very, very wisely and strategically. Yeah, and I guess the stats are saying that most people only get one property, so that that maybe does indicate (laughs) that people aren't getting that first one right. Now, playing devil's advocate, we've talked about it's, it's not normally a good idea to buy where you live. However, it might be the area where your 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 research is is best. So people tend to know. The, the sort of dynamics of the local suburb or the suburb next door is is there any value in that or 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 is is this just one of those things that that people should stop doing? <laughs> well, Sydney siders in particular at the moment have uh, are in a bit of a tough spot, and I see a lot of people saying coming to me and saying. Oh, Julie, you know, I really want to buy in Sydney for investment, but I, I just can't afford to do it. And um, my question is, is Sydney the best place to be looking right now for investment? Uh, it, it's a tricky one because people do love to be able to um, feel very comfortable around their purchases. And I understand that. I understand that completely. Um, there's no guarantee that if you purchase the house next door or the house around the corner that it's going to achieve your your goals according to your plan. Yeah. So, you know, it, it then comes back to where the plan is the crucial part and the property should come last. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, um, what's happening at the moment is people are locking themselves out by, by mindset of investing. If they think that they can't afford to invest around the corner, then that's it. I'm just not going to invest. And that's a, that's. I think that's a very sad outcome. Yeah, and even the, the media mm-hmm. tends to talk about the capital cities and completely forget 
that there's a whole regional area that's extremely affordable and at the moment you would think that there was there's probably thousands of suburbs that are going to have better potential growth than Sydney over the next sort of five to ten years would you say? I would absolutely say that and it's it's finding sourcing those um, investments that will outperform um, will outperform and and they're out there. I mean, they're certainly there. They're there for the picking. But people look beyond those to something that they're, I guess, more emotionally um, um, comforted by, if I can put it that way. Yeah. I want to jump into how you select your areas. But if we are looking at, say, the, the property itself and, and, and doing uh, going against your advice and putting the property first, you, you talk about mm-hmm. selecting a property that matches local demographics. What, what are you talking about here? Mm-hmm. That's a really important point. The uh, the vast majority of people have an opinion on what constitutes a good investment property. I think that more than going down that track, we need to be looking, if, if you've researched an area and you're very comfortable in putting your investment dollars into that area, the next important step is to really look at the property type that is the most favoured in that area. And I'll give you an example. You know, you might you might be looking at an area of Adelaide, for example, and you might um, you might think that uh, with your we'll go back to four hundred thousand. With your four hundred thousand, you can purchase, you know, a very nice um, you can buy a very nice apartment for that, yep. um, quite close into the city. Um, or you could purchase maybe a townhouse. But the favoured property type in that area are actually three-bedroom, one-bathroom houses. So that information is really crucial because if you're purchasing the wrong property type, then you could find that you may be out of a t- you may not be able to attract a tenant easily, or you might also find that down the track, if you want to sell that property, then you might um, it may not be, because it's not the favoured property type. It might take longer to sell. So it's really important to look at the demographic of an area and select um, what is going to fit that demographic. That ties nicely into another question I wanted to ask you, which is which is sort of uh, I guess about scarcity, i.e., that we should be purchasing properties that we know would sell easily even if we think we're going to hold on to them for 10 or 20 years until retirement that we, we should be selecting a, a, a property would you say that that the, there's a greater pool of people that would want to buy and I guess as you say if there's if the if the the market wants three bedroom one one bathroom properties that then we should be looking away from townhouses for example Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's scarcity of a property. Um, that it's, it's always good if one pops up because sometimes you can't, you, you know, it very much depends on what's on the market at the time when you're looking. Um, but the, certainly the things that will make a difference, um, and this is knowledge, this is just pretty pretty strong knowledge of you know, what people prefer when they purchase. A big driver of property um, values and um, and desirability are proximity to private schools. That's probably the number one driver. Right. People, uh, yeah, and I, I guess it's with convenience as well. Um, people also transport, you know, the regular things that you would want to be looking for, transport and 
close to shops and universities, for example. But um, private schools is a, is a very big draw card. So, if, um, yeah, I, I tuck that one in your back pocket. <laughs> and uh, if something pops up that's close to a private school that, that fits the demographic and is um, in the area uh, where you're looking, then that could be a, a good purchase. That's an interesting one. And I, w- I want to sort of ask you about some of the other uh, I guess key drivers to 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 capital growth. But first, can can we attack the old adage that land appreciates and building depreciates? Do you think that this is still true, given that we're now building more units than we ever have, and it seems like we've we've sort of dispensed with that uh, quarter acre picket fence dr- dream? Is it still the case that a, a landed property is going to be a better investment? Well, in Sydney at the moment, it could well be because we've just had some some um, some changes made. To um, not every council is going to pick this up, but but now um, councils can we can put uh, dual occupancy on a smaller block of land. So um, that's interesting. Land in that case will become quite valuable um, in some areas of Sydney, more valuable than what it already is. Hard to believe. Um, mm. And the, the changing demographic, um, the, it will determine what the property type will be. So whilst I did make that point before of, of buying according to a demographic, what we're seeing in Sydney and um, to probably the same extent in Melbourne are uh, that property types are going to change, uh, have changed and will change over time purely because of affordability. People are going to need to who, who need to be working closer into city areas um, will be looking at purchasing um, apartments essentially because that's the property type that that's available um, are apartments um, more or less um, you know do they appreciate more over time um, it, it just depends on where people want to live you know what it's all supply and demand, so um, what pushes property prices up is the demand, more demand for those properties. So essentially what we'll see is, um, and we're already seeing it, closer into the city, um, apartments are becoming more and more expensive, um, house on land are even more expensive. <laughs> so to be quite honest, as property cycles peak and trough, um, you, you're still going to get... Um, uh, appreciation in all property types essentially the further away from the city areas you go um, the more likely you're going to be you know getting more capital growth in houses on land yep. but again as we as we um, keep adding to our population um, we're going to be seeing property values increase Absolutely. And I guess there's a lot of incentive for governments and councils to to increase the density of housing, so more homes per square metre, which I guess will, will take pressure off and, and we're always trying to, to make property more affordable for, for homeowners from a government level. From um, I know that research is, is, is a real strength of yours. Um, I wanted to talk to you about some things that I've sort of 
picked out of thin air, things like government spending, private business investment, access to transport and amenities. We can probably add to that public schooling or maybe that it's, uh, sorry, private schools or maybe that's its own one. You know, population movements, whether it be um, interstate net migration or, or overseas and, and supply and demand dynamics. Uh, are, are any of those more important than the others? Do they all sort of work together? What, what sort of tips can you give us when we're, we're looking at that that process of, of how to identify a growth area mm, mm. they they all do play a role you're absolutely right uh, there Mike um, it's very interesting that um, population growth is is probably right up there um, and populations move according to jobs and we've seen that uh, you know graphic examples of that in over the recent years with um, you know the massive amount of jobs available in uh, North West Australia and also Northern Queensland and once those jobs dry up we've then seen population shift because people need to work so you know that that um, definitely is right up there as top of research where where are the jobs where are the populations moving for those jobs um, and what else underpins that? So, you know, is there government spending happening in those areas to to underpin that economy? And, um, yeah, definitely people, when they move to an area, they want to be able to access um, all of the, the facilities that they need, private schools being one of them, um, and transport and so on. But, yeah, up the top of the list, I would say, would be um, jobs, population movement, um, government spending. They're, they're, they're the big ones. So I guess the, the jobs come first and the people obviously follow and if the people don't follow then the jobs are worth more money and the people end up following uh, uh, eventually. H- how do we f- how do we see job creation happening? For example, I guess if a government announced they're building a road, is that different to mm-hmm. say Telstra saying they're opening up a call centre in Tamworth? How do we sort of pick what's going to be mm-hmm. the best thing to follow from a job creation point of view? Yeah, look, very good question. I've been saying for quite some time there's still a lot more growth in our Sydney western suburbs. Um, The airport's a game changer. So when you see things like, you know, airports going in, that is going to require thousands of thousands of jobs, um, uh, people to, to work in those areas. And, you know, a smart state government... Um, and fingers crossed <laughs> this happens and, yeah. and, and we see this happen, that they're going to create, you know, more um, commercial hubs around that airport. So that's, that will, in, in a sense, drive even more jobs well into the future. Um, that should happen. And um, so we'll see the western suburbs stretch even further um, any vacant land that you see out there, I dare say, in ten years' time, won't exist because you know there's there's a massive amount of um, housing already going out in the Sydney Western Suburbs, but also um, the rail networks um, and the road networks to carry that population uh, as well. So that all drives um, that all drives growth a whole lot. So I wanted to we, we touched on it before talk about 
growth versus cash flow properties it's a real sort mm. of cliche question it makes it seem like i've done very ra- lazy uh, research but how should we sort of think about the interplay of capital growth and cash flow as a long-term investor look i think um both are very important so um when investors and and i work with experienced investors as well people who've built portfolios and when we're looking at how to best do that. We really need a good combination of cash flow and capital growth. Um, it's interesting at the moment, um, we can't second guess what the banks are going to do, what the lending institutions are, are, you know, their policies change from time to time. So it's very important to um, hedge your bets and make sure that you're in the best possible position as an investor to be able to continue to, A, get finance because that is what's going to drive your portfolio and um, and B, to make sure that what you purchase is going to um, be enticing to the banks. So cash flow is important and capital growth um, equally as important. That's an interesting notion. I, I've never sort of thought before of, of purchasing, you know, properties that are attractive to the banks. But it, it factors in, right? That they're, if they're assessing your ability to serve as an investment before they'll lend you for another one, then there's got to be some sort of attractiveness to that property, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm finding more and more probably inexperienced investors have gone down the you know, off the plan track. And there's nothing wrong with buying off the plan, I might add, if that's part of your strategy, part of the plan. Um, but you can't base, basically the banks won't continue to lend you money if you're too negatively geared. So, you know, again, we come back to the plan. In order to set yourself up well and to um, be enticing to the bank, as I said before, you've got to make sure that um, you, you put yourself in a very strong position. Uh, I know, I, yeah, I think that um, I've, had, I've got some examples which you know I can share with you in, in a few minutes about how we've, we've done that for clients and um, they're continuing to borrow money. Interesting. Yeah, we will definitely want to touch mm-hmm. into some of those case studies. I just, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to pick your brain even more. I, I know that you tend to favour low maintenance properties, but I'm wondering if there's sort of a, a, a cutoff point. For example, if you know that there's better capital growth potential in a property that's in need of a bit of love, is there a point where you think, oh, look, the, the, the prospects of capital growth make it worthwhile looking after this one? Or, or you know, is that priced in or do you, do you avoid those? Those sorts of properties in general because of the risks of, of finding things that aren't easily seen in the beginning? <laughs> yeah, look, it depends on what type of investor you are as well, Mike. I, I come across people all the time that really want um, to add value to property and to get, um, you know, build in their equity basically in that property. Um, and there's certainly... Uh, I think it's a good idea if you've got the skill to be able to do that. Again, uh, I tend not to do that. I like to purchase 
and not have to do anything to a property. Um, And that's just my personal bent. I, I, I guess I'm a bit of a lazy investor in that regard. I like to purchase and then put someone in and, and have it work for me straight away. Passive is a more um, complimentary term than lazy. Let's go with passive. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Well, well, we'll say passive. I think, um, yeah, to, if you've got the skill to do it, by all means do it. Um, if you can add value along the way. If it's cosmetic, then that's no big deal. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's horses for courses. And definitely you can make money out of those properties, most definitely. I guess it, it changes the, the metrics if you're a, a carpenter or a builder. You've, you've got uh, a secret weapon in your back pocket if something goes wrong. Um, you mentioned some mm-hmm. of the examples of, of successes that you've had for, for clients. Can you let us know some of the properties and places you've in, invested in? And I'm, I'm interested in sort of why did you choose that location and, and, and what, what the actual positive outcome was? What what did you see that was likely to happen that did happen? Yeah. Um, yes, good question, Mike. Look, I, I love giving case studies because these, these, these this is what delights me. You know, when you see clients getting some really great um, results and essentially I, I want my clients to do far better than, than what I've done in property and, and this is what I, I love talking about. So, um, I had a client come to me in January 2017 and um, she uh, purchased a property um, through my services, through API Solutions. And um, how we sourced that property, um, we rather than just relying on what we normally rely upon, I added the icing to the cake, I suppose, by using artificial intelligence to source um, a location. And... So using the software, we um, were provided with a um, an area that was set for growth and that had uh, an estimate. So, so the software will provide a, a capital growth estimate in the first 12 months of ownership yep. and it will also identify where positive cash flow um, can be created. So essentially we were put in an area just outside of Newcastle and um, it, the market at that point was as flat as a tack, and which is an investor's dream. We love, I love negotiation. So I went into that. Um, the software had appraised the property at four hundred nineteen thousand, and we uh, it was on the market for four hundred nine thousand, and then we negotiated that at three hundred eighty five thousand. Oh, didn't you what? And, yeah, and it was uh, getting three ninety a week rent. Now this was a five-year-old um, four-bedroom, two-bathroom, double garage house on six hundred and twenty square meter block of wow. land. So a very good deal. And um, fast forward twelve months, that same investor has come back to me. She was a single lady, fifty-three years old, one income, and she uh, has. Um, went back to the bank, refinanced. Now, here's where the cash flow came in because um, the cash flow was strong, but the capital growth at that over that 12 months was um, around about 50, just over $50,000 worth of capital growth in that period of time. Now, how that wow. happened, a lot of people in Sydney were looking for more affordable markets to invest, and they were going west of Sydney, south of Sydney and north of Sydney 
So that drove a lot of this area up where this, this my client had purchased. And um, and that's how she arrived at, you know, $50,000-plus worth of capital growth in that short period of time. Um, went back to the bank. The bank has um, had then pre-approved her for another $260,000. So, again, I went back to the software platform and we looked at um, an area in Victoria and she has purchased, um, again, a positive cash flow property for 234000 getting 260 a week um, rent. 234 so, Wow. $234,000. That's those, an eight-year-old, eight-year-old property. Those still yeah. exist. They still exist. <laughs> wow. So she, that's she's a deposit like, in that's, Sydney, that's, right? That's, that's a deposit. That's right. But <laughs> so she's gone back to the bank, and she's now been pre-approved for another two hundred and twenty thousand. So that's that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say that banks will keep lending if they have, um, if we've got good, strong capital growth and cash flow. Yeah, well, those are some. So she's back some... for her third property in the last. 16, 17 months. I'm not surprised she's probably got a tent uh, pitched out the front of your house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, and, and that, it, it, it gives us such satisfaction to be able to do that for our clients. And uh, to, she, she will have, you know, a very different retirement outcome as a result of her investment decision just over, you know, 16, 17 months ago to come to us and to to bite the bullet and to say, this is what I want. Um, I'm going to uh, basically, yeah, start investing and, and make a difference in my life. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I, I believe I know the artificial intelligence software you're talking about and I was chatting to the creator a, a week or two ago. So I think we're we're going to, to get some insights into, into how that all works. In the, um, I guess, the low-tech sort of side of things you, you're obviously always on the lookout for the next growth area how are you doing your your, your research and, and obviously artificial intelligence is a, is a great way to sort of zero that in but what what are some of the key metrics that you see and you think okay i'm going to green light this suburb or this area yes yeah, certainly um looking at um i mean sometimes you do get the odd snippets um through media but i like to sort of do research well before it, it hits media um, and so therefore looking at definitely where government is spending money infrastructure spending yep. um, where and and not just where things are proposed but where they have been rubber stamped um, because sometimes when they propose um, a, a change it doesn't happen so making sure that, that yeah definitely the, the research is done and it's been rubber stamped and it's the money will be spent on whatever it is that that is going to be happening in that area. Interesting, yeah. And I guess there's a there's a few ways that we can we can source that information about government spending, and and obviously budgets a good time where they're announcing that. And I guess coming up to the next election, there'll be lots of promises about things being built, and whichever team wins, we'll go and have a look at what they've promised. I guess. Um, a lot of the, the capital city markets are sort of flatlining or falling at the moment with the possible exception of, I guess, Hobart. Um, can, can we still achieve solid capital growth in this market? And, and, and if so, where, where are we needing to go? Yeah, yes, yes, you can achieve solid capital growth, absolutely. Um, 
traditionally we, we've sort of gone to um, well, Sydney and Melbourne, you know, the big two, um, and and you know that's proven to be um, in the past probably five years a very good decision. Um, again, it's looking at where the money is going. Uh, it's looking at, um, as I said before, where the jobs are, where, where things are, where you can see a shift, I think. Um, yeah, basically, there's still some solid capital growth, but probably we need to be looking further afield, as we said before. And uh, places like um, some regional areas are showing some very strong capital growth. Um, and as I said, western suburbs of Sydney, if it's still affordability is still probably an issue for most. Yeah. Um, but definitely there's still scope for capital growth. And it's interesting how uh, we're seeing areas like traditionally Sydney siders may not um, venture into, um, you know, some lower socioeconomic areas around Sydney. Um, and, you know, don't discount those because often they are areas where there are a lot of people renting. They can't afford necessarily to buy. And so, therefore, you, you're going to get a pretty good, strong rental market in those areas. I cite one, I, I invested many years ago in Fairfield mm -hmm. um, in Sydney and that's probably been one of my, my best investments. It's rarely, I can't count a time when it hasn't had a tenant in it and um, and it's had uh, good, strong cash flow and capital growth. So don't discount those uh, lower socioeconomic areas. Be careful about what you buy in those areas and be be very choosy about um, where in those suburbs you buy, but definitely don't discount them. We talked about matching the property sort of to the demographics, and it, and it's one thing to sort of say, look, this suburb is going to be growth, but how important is it to pinpoint the right streets within an area? I, I'm guessing that when we look at capital growth within a suburb, that's an average of the whole area, right? But there'd be some streets that are not getting any growth at all and some that are charging at maybe double that average. Is, is that right? And, and, and if so, how, how, do we, how do we find those streets? Yeah, that's a very good point, Mark. Um, yes, you're correct. If, if you sit down with anybody and ask them if they've lived in an area for, you know, five, ten years, ask them where the best streets are in that suburb, they'll be able to pretty much tell you straight away where those streets are where people prefer to live. And it's sometimes it's just aesthetics. Sometimes they're just nice streets to live in, wider wider roads, streetscapes, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but they do command, yeah, a premium. And over a period of time, that can mean the difference between, uh, and I'm talking 10 years plus, 20, maybe 20 years, can mean the difference of a significant amount of money, yeah. you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, how to pinpoint those is... Um, it can be challenging um, and again the way that I pinpoint those streets is I definitely rely on the software that I mentioned before to help me to pinpoint those um, best streets in suburbs 
Mm. Interesting, yeah, and and I guess that's something that that people don't think about a lot, but it must be true that some streets are going to do better than others. Now, Julie, you're a uh, very prolific writer. Sometimes it seems like you must have an army of clone Julies um, pumping out the content that you do. Um, I know you're a speaker, a mentor as well. I'm I'm interested in some of the the common questions that you get from investors. Mm, yeah, look, the vast majority of people. Um, Ask where. Just say, oh, where is where is the hot spot? Where should I invest? Property first, right? Um, property first, and and yeah, they need to start with obviously the plan. They need to think about you know where they want to uh, invest. And so my answer to that question is always, well, that depends on what you're trying to achieve. And then they go blank because they don't really know what to ask next. So. Having that plan first and foremost is, is really important. Um, and often people get clarity after speaking with me. So I might um, say to them, who, that a person who's asked me where I should buy, um, I'll straight away say, look, you know, how about we sit down, have a coffee, and we'll just chat about what it is that you're thinking you might like to do and that will give you clarity. So it's amazing how just with a, a very short conversation, you know, 30 minutes or whatever, people can then think about the more important questions around investing and be asking themselves, gee, you know, maybe what I need to be thinking about is how is this property going to work for me? Um, and what sorts of things do I need to be um, looking at first of all before I launch into where is a hotspot? <laughs> One thing's for sure, Mike. If it's been, uh, if the media has uh, raised a particular suburb or a particular location as a hotspot, what all the novice investors will do is flock to that hotspot, and then they're basically in 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 the same pool trying to purchase property, you know, and it, it and they it might be paying a premium, I guess. Absolutely. So it's 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 very interesting. The power of investing is getting in before somewhere is, no, you know, come up as a hot hot spot, and where you can actually negotiate great prices. Because people are desperate to sell. Yeah. That's that's a good end result. The, the the property or the hotspot, that's that's the fun part, right? And people want the fun part. So I'm wondering if, if that's the dessert, you're telling people you can have your dessert but you have to eat your veggies first, like mum always said. <laughs> and and maybe the veggies is the plan. Can we is is that one of the uh, the clunkiest metaphors that we can we can talk about with the plan uh, and the property? I love it. I love it, Mike. I think um you know there there are a few brave people that would be going into the Perth market at the moment, but that doesn't say that there aren't some good spots to be investing in Perth. You just have to know where to go. So, you know, it's a it's a whole lot easier to, to say to people, oh, yes, I think that you should be investing in, you know, Coogee or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Manly. You know, it, it's it, people like to... Um, like to think that they can invest in in those places and some people still do obviously um, but are there better places to invest yes and they generally speaking places that people are not investing now so you're going against the herd and you're probably going to be 
well, no, possibly feeling a little bit uncomfortable. But if I know that those places are set for growth, then the consideration should be, yes, I'm prepared to invest because I know that this is going to work for me as opposed to holding something that, as you said before, may not get any capital growth for many years to come and stops you building a portfolio dead in its tracks. Well, that's an old sort of Warren Buffett thing, isn't it? Be greedy when others are fearful, and I guess that sort of applies to, to Perth. I just hope the people that are investing there have, have had their veggies. Um, I'm interested in, in the question of, of, of whether someone like yourself believes that investors can safely go about investing on their own or do they need a mentor or a, a team of experts and, and maybe there's no yes or no, maybe it's a yes but the results might be different. What's your view on that, Julie? Again, I think it's really important if you're trying to build a portfolio um, to have people around you that are going to help you to achieve that. Um, people think that they can do it on their own and that's why they end up with one property, maybe two at best. One or two properties won't get you a good-looking retirement. It will it will help, but it won't get you there. A, a good-functioning, successful property portfolio absolutely will get you there. And the, the, the team members that are going to be working with you to get you there are people who can understand how to structure your finance properly, who um, after each purchase they're looking at, okay, for the next one we need to do X and in order to, to do that we've got to um, structure this properly in the first instance. So finance is definitely one of them. Um, also making sure that you've got um, someone like a buyer's agent who can who's very strong on negotiation, that can make a difference um, as it did with my client in that last example. That made um, a difference of um, $24,000. Yeah, wow. So already we, we built in some equity just by negotiating that property um, at a very good price. Um, and also, um, you know, uh, using a using a good strong uh, professional buyers agent is going to also help with everything else that you need to do. So, when you're purchasing interstate, for example, you'll need an interstate conveyancer. You'll also need um, pest and building inspections done. Um, and so, therefore, you know you, there's a network that a buyers agent has that taps into all of that expertise that you would have to source for yourself. And I dare say that's why people would prefer to buy around the corner because they can use their local broker and conveyance and whatever. Um, if the money is to be made interstate, that's where people need to be investing. So if the buyer's agent has that level of expertise and, and network available, then that's what you tap into as well. Um, and to give you an example, um, just the other night I had a, a client who... Uh, purchased in another state, and there was a 48 cooling off, 48 hour cooling off period, and my client had wasn't happy with a couple of the points on the pest and building inspection. So, at 10 o'clock at night, um, I was still making changes and addendums to the contract that was cooling off at midnight. Right. <laughs> so, 
part of part of what buyers agents do is we journey every step with our client to make sure that they get the very best outcome. If this lady had purchased this property on her own, I dare say she would have copped um, the the fallout from the pest. It was not terrible. The pest building inspection was not. You know, it was it was fine. There were just quite a few cosmetic things that needed um, fixing, and we were managed to get those in the contract before the cooling off. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Um, it all. So yeah, that we we go that extra mile to make sure that our clients are getting what they need, what they're entitled to, and what they need to get. Wow, and um, I've got to say, Julie, time flies when you're having fun. Um, how do people get in touch with yourself? Yeah, look, um, we're uh, online, obviously, www.apisolutions.com.au for Australian Property Investment Solutions. Um, and, yeah, please uh, feel free to, to contact us and have a complimentary chat, you know, open up the conversation about what's possible for you. We're very open and, and happy to to have those discussions with people we know that the end result can be absolutely massive and, and that's what we want for our clients. Awesome. And just before we go, Julie, I wanted to, this might be a tricky one, but I wanted to see if there was one piece of advice you could give to property investors, what that might be. Uh, look, I live by this on a daily basis. Um, don't put off what you can do today. So if you can... Um, purchase a property, for example, in your self-managed super fund today because you've got enough funds, do it. If you can purchase the property outside of super, do it. If you've got the wherewithal to, um, you know, make a difference, um, do it now because we don't know when those policies will change where you might be locked out of it. So, And I've seen it happen. So... I guess, yep, the one piece of advice is whatever you're able to do today investment-wise, bite the bullet, do it today. Awesome. Love it. Julie, I've had a great time chatting to you. Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.